Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, happy Easter, everyone. I am so excited to be with you today uh, for the celebration of, of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, Easter for me is a joyful time. I love Easter so much about it. It is a time of new life. New life begins in this part of the world. It's spring and the, the trees are budding and the grass is turning green and the flowers are popping up and my chickens are growing. I've I got little peeps about, oh, four weeks ago or so. They're now awkward teenage chickens and they're out in the yard. And I love all of that. I love the new life. More than that though, I love the new life that we have in Christ because of what happened 2000 years ago at this time. See, death was conquered and sins were forgiven and we have been given a brand new start. And today we join together with 2.2 billion Christians around the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a celebration of new hope. It's a celebration of new life. It's a celebration of God's amazing love. But this year is different, isn't it? It's, 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 this is the first time in history, in, in the 2,000 plus year history of, of Easter, that the, that the celebration has happened this way. See, we're, we're mostly quarantined, we're gathered online at home, separated from one another, not coming together in person. We are able to come together on the internet, and that's pretty, pretty neat, and God's Spirit joins us together. And that's cool, but boy, do I look forward to the day when we can come together and celebrate Jesus in unison in the same place. And I know many of you do too. For right now, we're separated from, uh, by distance, and there are a lot of mixed emotions that go with that. You know, I've been talking to a lot of people over the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, people have got their game face on. There's no question about it. You know, things are good. We're going to make it through. Uh, But when you dig a little below the surface, you know, this is a difficult time for most of us. For so many people, they're isolated. They're they're alone. You know, together alone, as the hashtag says. Uh, But they're alone. And it's a lonely time. And as this drags on longer and longer, it becomes very difficult. Uh, So some of you are stuck in a house with somebody you don't want to be stuck in a house with. For many of us, we're separated from our loved ones, my kids from their grandparents, me from my parents, and, and uh, we can't be truly together, and that's hard. But I think the biggest thing that people are struggling with is just fear, uh, kind of this low-grade underlying anxiety of what happens next, and nobody can answer that question. Will we be able to get together at the end of April? We don't know. Will I get COVID? Will someone I love get COVID? What happens if they do? Do we make it through? Does the world look the same at the end of this? What about the economy? What about my job or my business? These are all questions that people are wrestling with. What if, what if, I talked to some college students and post-college students, what if I have to move back in with my parents and that's petrifying for some? It can feel overwhelming, can it? It can feel kind of hopeless. Now, the good news is, is that's not an emotion that is 
uncommon to people. Even Jesus felt that way from time to time, and his disciples certainly did. Now, if you're joining us for the, for the first time or you're joining this, this, this story of Easter for the first time, I need to give you a little bit of a backstory. Jesus landed on our planet. Well, he didn't land. He was born on our planet about 2,000 years ago. Uh, we date time after Jesus. So it's, the year is 2020. It, he was that significant of an influence on our world that we literally date time after him. And he arrived about 2,000 years ago, and he spent the first 30 years of his life living in ambiguity in a little town called Nazareth in a country called Israel in the Middle East. And as he entered his 30th year, he began a public ministry. He, he gathered a group of people around him, and they traveled around on foot, because that was what they did in those days, from city to city, uh, from town to town, preaching and teaching, and he taught in a way that people had never heard before. He was empowered by God. It was, it was amazing to hear. But not just that, he performed miracles. He, he healed people all the time. He defied the laws of nature. It was reported that he had walked on water, that he had spoken to a storm and told it to stop, and it did. He even raised the dead here and there. He was an amazing guy. And the people of Israel had been waiting for somebody that fit that description. The prophets of old had written about somebody who would come to rescue God's people. They called him the Messiah, and they were hoping that Jesus might be him. Now, in their minds, they saw the Messiah as a, as a political rescue or someone who would reestablish the kingdom and the glory of, of Israel. That is, Israel had been living under oppression by one regime or another for hundreds of years. And that currently, when Jesus was there, they were living under the boot of the Roman Empire. And they were hoping that Jesus would be the king of Israel, that he would come and, and kick the Romans out and set the people free and, and reestablish this kingdom of Israel. And Jesus, on uh, the Sunday before what we celebrate as Easter, rides into Jerusalem and there's a huge celebration. The people have decided he is the one they've been waiting for. And they start shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they wave palm branches. And, and he rides into town as their Messiah. The problem was, is that Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God. And they were always hearing the kingdom of Israel. Jesus did, in fact, come to lead a revolution, but it was a spiritual revolution that would take, part in or take place in people's hearts. It wasn't a political revolution. Well, as the, the week goes on, it's, it's Passover, uh, a celebration that the Jews had celebrated for, for 1,500 years at that point. As the, the week and the celebration goes on, it becomes apparent that Jesus isn't going to crown himself king. He's not going to overthrow the government. And by Thursday, by Thursday, Jesus be, grows heavy in heart. Uh, he knew what was coming. The next day, he would be crucified. But that evening, that Thursday evening, he gathers his disciples and they celebrate the Passover feast. He has a dinner with them. There's a somber feel to it. If you read it, and I encourage you to read it, there's a heaviness to Jesus's heart and his tone at that point. 
And he celebrates the dinner with them. He, he, he breaks bread and says at the end as part of the service uh, and as part of the, part of the dinner, but he changes it up a little bit. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And, and then he takes the cup as part of the Passover dinner and he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he gives it to them to drink. And, 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 and he's referencing what is about to happen to him. The next day, he will be crucified. His body will be broken. His blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. But you can feel the somberness of the moment. Jesus' heart is heavy. He washes his disciples' feet and teaches them that to be great in his kingdom, you have to be a servant. And he teaches them some other things that he wants to reinforce. He wants them to remember and carry with them after he's gone. He prays for them and they, and they head on out to spend the night at a place called Gethsemane. Um, there, there's a garden across from the town where Jesus would stay when he was in Jerusalem. He must have known the person who owned it. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and it, was, it was an olive garden, not the restaurant. There weren't unlimited breadsticks there, but it was, it was an olive grove where they grew olives and they would press them into, into olive oil. And so that's where they stayed. That was, that was their place. And, and Jesus and the disciples headed out after dinner over to, to Gethsemane. But his heart was heavy. He was overwhelmed, overwhelmed significantly, feeling kind of hopeless. Have you ever felt that way? I know a lot of us have. I know that all of us have at one point or another. I certainly have. Well, they get to the garden and it says in Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, here's the situation. They get to the garden. This is where they camp out all the time. They probably all have their own campsite. But Jesus grabs three guys. They're his best friends. And he says, come with me. I need you guys to sit with me. I need you guys to pray with me. And he says this to them, that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus felt overwhelmed. Jesus felt hopeless. And he, and he shares this with his disciples. He's their leader, but he's also completely authentic. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. And so he goes on a little further. He's still within earshot, but he goes on a little further and it says he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He says, God, I see what's coming, and I don't want to go through with it. But if you say I have to, I will. And Jesus is in deep sorrow. He is deeply overwhelmed. In fact, other accounts of this particular situations say that he, he literally was sweating blood. And that's a real thing. Like sometimes when human beings are under extreme, I mean extreme duress, the capillaries in your sweat glands can burst and it will look like you're sweating blood. That's what Jesus was doing. He was under extreme duress. Well, anyway, he returns to his disciples and he finds them sleeping of all things. 
He needed them and they, they were letting him down. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, or if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He prays the same thing. God, please, let's not do this. But if I must, I will. And it says when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. And the temple guard was being led by one of Jesus' disciples who betrayed him, and he was handed over. You see, Jesus was not unfamiliar with dark times. He was not unfamiliar with hopelessness. He was not unfamiliar with struggle. And Jesus could see through to the other side. He knew what was, he knew what was going to happen on the other side of this. He knew the end of the story, and yet he was overwhelmed as he looked at the next 24 hours. And the next 24 hours is just, it's a train wreck. I mean, it is disappointment and letdown after letdown. His friends, starting with his friends, falling asleep on him when he needed them the most. His friends all scatter and abandon him when he's arrested. One of his good friends, a guy named Judas, betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. The pain of betrayal. He's arrested that night in the dark. He, you know, Jesus hung out in the temple courts most days. They could have arrested him during the day and given him a fair trial. But all of this is happening under the cover of night in hidden places. He's falsely accused. They, they get witnesses who take his words out of context and accuse him of things that he hasn't said. The religious leaders spit in his face and they punch him with their fists. His, one of his best, best friends, Peter, disowns him three times. The crowd that had yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. After finding out that he wasn't going to kick out Rome and be their king, is now yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And the soldiers who arrested him and were charged with killing him, mocked him and beat him and spit upon him. They made a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they beat it into his skull. And then they nailed him to a cross. Crucifixion was the most gruesome, painful, excruciating form of execution the world has ever dreamed of. And that is what Jesus signed up for. That is what Jesus had to walk through. And then as he is hanging there on the cross, the religious leaders mock him and they say things like, well, you could save other people. Why can't you save yourself? And then right before he breathes his last, his heavenly father, his, his best friend, he's had a relationship and a connection with the father since before the beginning of time. He turns away as the sin of the world is placed on Jesus. And Jesus cries out in agony, Eli, Eli, 
Lemma sabachthai, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's all in a 24-hour period of time. You see, Jesus is not unfamiliar with struggle. He is not unfamiliar with being overwhelmed. He is not unfamiliar with facing a situation and feeling hopeless. And then think about what the disciples are going through as well. I mean, just imagine how low and dejected they must have felt. They had placed all their hopes in Jesus. They had left their families and their friends and their businesses and their homes and, and everything to follow him. And they thought, that he was gonna, they thought that he was going to be king too, that they would be his royal court. And now he's dead. And even they understood that dead people do not become undead. They don't come back. That doesn't happen, and especially crucified people. I mean, the Romans were exceptional executioners. Nobody comes back from a Roman crucifixion. And all their hopes and all their dreams and all that invested time was gone. They didn't have any faith that he would uh, rise from the dead. And in fact, they're hiding out thinking maybe they'll be the next to be crucified and, and killed because they were with Jesus. Let me ask you, have, have you ever been in that place where you're scared, where you're feeling hopeless, where you're overwhelmed with grief, maybe, maybe to the point of death? Maybe you, you lost a job and financially lost everything else. Maybe your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend cheated on you. Or you have a child who is completely out of control. Or the doctor came in and said, I'm sorry, I have to report this to you. Or maybe you're stuck in a pandemic and you're unsure how things will turn out and that is weighing heavily upon you. Well, I have good news. It's always darkest before the dawn. The disciples were at the lowest point in their lives before Jesus rose from the dead. But hope was about to rise. If you have your Bible there, flip over to Luke chapter 24. Luke has an account of, of Jesus' resurrection in, in chapter 24. Luke was a doctor. He, he recorded a lot of details because he was one of those detail people and he interviewed everybody who was involved in this story. And this is his account. This is on Sunday morning. Um, Friday, Jesus is crucified. There are a couple of his followers who, who take him and very hastily prepare his body for burial because they were running out of time. The Sabbath was coming and they put him in a tomb and they rolled a stone in front of that tomb. But on Sunday morning, there were some ladies who, who had prepared the appropriate spices and were going to give him a proper and appropriate burial. And so Sunday morning, first thing, they're on their way out to the tomb. And it says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. There's two angels there. This is a supernatural moment. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. 
But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. See, he had told them on a couple of occasions that he was going to go and suffer and die, but that he would rise from the dead. But they were so focused on him becoming king, they couldn't hear what he was saying. But now that the angels reminded them, oh, that's right, he did say that. They didn't go to the tomb expecting Jesus to be alive. They didn't go to the tomb with hope. They went to the tomb expecting to prepare his body for burial, expecting to mourn and weep and wail. See, hope was dead, but hope was about to rise. It says when they came back from the tomb, they took all these things to the, or told all these things to the 11 and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Of course they seem like nonsense. Dead people stay dead. Crucified people do not come back to life. But Peter had to see for himself. There was a glimmer of hope rising in Peter's heart. It says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, what Peter is going to learn over the next several hours and the next several days is that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus conquered death, and that hope wasn't lost, but hope was rising. You see, Jesus is the hope of the world. And he rose from the dead at the apex of the darkest time. It was the darkest time for him. It was the darkest time for his apostles. And that's what he does when things feel hopeless, when we are overwhelmed with grief to the point of death, when we are confused and wondering how we're going to make it through. That's when hope rises. And it always rises because Jesus rose from the dead. See, whatever you're facing right now, hope will rise because Jesus has conquered death. And because he has conquered death, he has conquered hopelessness. You know, several years ago, there was a, a hymn that came out um, by Bill Gaither called Because He Lives. I'm not a big hymn fan, but I love the words of this song. It goes like this. It says, God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And then the chorus says this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living, just because he lives. Hope is rising, my friends, because Jesus conquered death. You can conquer anything. And Jesus has been resurrecting the dead ever since.
You know, I said earlier, we, we, we are joining together with 2.2 billion Christians around the world celebrating the fact that Jesus has brought them back to life. Now, I know what you're thinking. They weren't dead. Well, they weren't dead physically. We are alive physically, but that doesn't mean we're fully alive. Jesus said he came to bring us life in all of its fullness. And what he meant by that is spiritually. Yeah, you can survive and, 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 and kind of make your way through life and be alive physically, but not be fully alive. And you'll never be fully alive until you're in a relationship with your heavenly father. That's the truth. Because that's what you were created for. That's your highest purpose. But the problem is, is that our sins, the things that we've done wrong, our regrets, our mistakes, our shame, it separates us from God because He is holy and He is perfect. But Jesus came and He died that, that week of Passover in our place as a sacrifice, as a stand-in. It's amazing the symbolism of Passover and how it corresponds with what Jesus did. They were sacrificing lambs as sin offerings for the forgiveness of sins for their family. And Jesus stepped in as the Lamb of God as the final sacrifice once for all of mankind. And, and Isaiah 53, Isaiah the prophet writes these words, 700 years before Jesus shows up, he says, we despised him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing, but he endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that we should have borne. All the while we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. But because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because, the evil, because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. Isaiah prophetically, hundreds of years before Jesus, wrote exactly what Jesus would do. He would take our punishment. He would bring our healing by taking our blows. He would stand in your place and my place. He would pay your penalty and my penalty. And on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead to prove that it worked, to prove that it was true, to prove that he was who he said he was and that he accomplished what he said he would accomplish, to raise your dead soul, to raise your hopes and dreams, to give you purpose and to give you life in all of its fullness. To give you the ability not just to survive this life, but to thrive in this life in a relationship with God. You were created to thrive, and Jesus said so. And it's why he came. You know, the next series we're going to be doing, which starts next Sunday, is called Thrive. And we're gonna jump off of this message and into three weeks of looking how God, at how God has created us to thrive, not just survive this life. And even in the midst of a pandemic, you can thrive. And I wanna invite you to come back 
each and every week and tune in for this series because every one of us wants to be fully alive. Every one of us wants to thrive. And you're going to discover some things in the weeks to come. The world is being shaken, isn't it? But Jesus is unshakable. And you can be unshakable too if you place your faith in Him. If you walk in relationship with Him. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that right now. And it's really, it's, it's, it's a simple two-step process. And the first is just telling Him that you want to. It's a prayer. And the second is waking up each day and saying, Jesus, I'm still in and I choose to follow you today. I want to give you an opportunity, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, to do that today. And it's as simple as praying with me this prayer. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but it can be. But wherever you are, close your eyes, bow your head. And if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. So that you can not just survive, but that you can thrive and live life in all of its fullness. Let's pray and just repeat after me. Say something along these lines. Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross to pay for my mistakes. I believe you rose from the dead to prove that it was true. I believe my sins can be forgiven and I place my faith in you right now. I choose to follow you and I ask that you would lead me from this day forward. Help me to follow you because I can't do it on my own. Jesus, come and live in my heart. Cause hope to rise in my life and change my life forever. And it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.